Hey y'all, it's Shauna here, your host of Adulting with Shauna, the podcast where I teach you how to adult like a boss. Today's episode is episode 43, titled Expectations. Now here's the show. another week of adulting with Shauna. This week we're going to be doing things a little bit different. I have a special interview to share with you guys. I interviewed Mr. J. Caleb Perkins from The Remedy Network. He's going to be sharing about his new book dropping on February the 17th. Stay tuned for this one interview and I will catch you guys next time. All right, so Caleb, tell us a little bit about yourself and what what are you doing and Definitely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Shauna. I love your podcast. I do. I think you're doing amazing work. So um, it's, I'm honored to be on today. But I lead a small company in Brooklyn, New York called Remedy Network. And what we do is we host educational talks for millennials. And we also promote mental health advocacy work. So we pick an industry um, out of the seven spheres of influence, which really means just really any industry that really gauges society, education, business, finance, fashion, what have you. We pick an influencer and then they give a a TED style talk on how to achieve success for millennials. Cool. So what brought you into that field? Definitely. um, I was, um, I've always been really passionate about entertainment and I'm a creative. So I love creating things. I love music. I love journalism. I love writing. Um, I love talking and meeting people. So this is one of my most favorite things to do. Um, but it kind of transitions into a larger story of, um, I was just working for a fortune 500 company, um, after I graduated from college in 2014, which was really nice company was great. Um, at the time I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and I read about a kid who, um, was wrongfully convicted of a crime in the Bronx. His name was Khalif Porter. Um, so on and so forth, entertainers reached out to him. And unfortunately, he committed suicide at age 22, um, just after struggling with mental health issues. So I read that article in the New Yorker magazine, and it really summed it up for me. I just, um, it was a difficult process, and I'd love to talk more about that. Um, But to make a long story short, I I ended up quitting my job (laughs) at at 23, and I moved to New York to, to start this company. You know, that's really cool because that's that's something that like a lot of young adults today are thinking about is finding themselves in this position where they're working these jobs that make really good money or they meet the expectation of what our parents wanted for us. And then it's just it's not everything that we expected it to be like it just didn't come to fruition the way that we hoped it to. And so we end up you know, either struggling in that position and completely hating our lives or trying to quit those jobs and find a passion and find something that we really love and enjoy doing in life. That sounds like a really hard process. And it's great that you were 
not great the story of Khalif, but really great that you were motivated to that and kind of looking to help change um, other millennials around you. Uh, what was that process like? How did other people respond to that? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for your encouragement. That really means a lot to me. It was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> it was hell, really, honestly. Um, when I found that story, I was struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. Not clinical depression or like anything to the level of belief was, but I was struggling with depression and anxiety. I was at probably the worst point ever in my life. Um, I got into a car accident. My dad was gravely ill. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to counseling for the first time. It was just really bad. Um, and then I was going to a job I didn't really feel passionate about. So it seemed like all hell was breaking loose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for millennials, what we don't understand sometimes is that sometimes our pain is the connector and the bridge to what what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. It was difficult. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I've, uh, I have a similar story. I actually haven't quit my day job and I run my blog and the podcast and everything else I do in addition to having a full time nine to five. But um, not too long ago, I came upon health issues that was affecting every portion of my life, like my day to day just physically. I was just ill all the time. And then like my relationship, it affected big time. And I felt like I came to that point where it didn't matter what other people wanted of me. What mattered was that I was in a place where I felt like I can physically take care of myself and mentally and spiritually and everything else with that. A lot of times I don't think that that's something that millennials are taught. So we have like these bouts of depression and trying to figure that out because it's not something that is engraved into us. What is engraved right. to us is working hard, going out there, higher achievement. Everything else is supposed to fall into place after that. But I think that it's it's kind of different that like once you kind of tap into that and you look and you examine that, you'll find that when you're taking care of yourself emotionally, then everything else can set itself up to do what it's supposed to do. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Can I can I piggyback off that? <laughs> yeah, go go right on ahead. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, that's amazing. Uh on one level is I try to be really careful about how I share my story because I'm in no way saying, you know, millennials should quit their job. I'm not Mr. I hate corporate America. That's totally not me. I think whatever, whenever we find ourselves at the point of walking into our purpose, I think we have to do what that looks like for us. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm just such a huge proponent in that can mean keeping your job and starting a side hustle. That can mean doing what you do, you know, you know, in lieu of what you're already doing, which is what you're doing, which I think is amazing, you know? And I think sometimes people will pride me on my story because I quit my job, but that's really missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is paying attention to our pain and our tears and then moving in spite of that because it can find itself, you know, in different ways. There's no one size fits all, you know, whatever. But, you know, when you take that step of faith and the courage to, do what it is that you're called to do, 
you know, that's amazing in and of itself. So, and then what you said about mental health, you know, mental health affects everyone. Um, it's not just for people who are, you know, schizophrenic or multiple personality disorder. And we think of all the big terms and the stigma associated with it, but everyone has a mental health that is being affected every day. Even us having a conversation is having an effect on both of our mental health. So I love that. Kudos. Amazing work. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You know, so I'm actually, it's really funny because my day job is in the mental health field. I'm a, I'm actually a mental health counselor. So, so it's, it's kind of funny because when I became a counselor, my mom would always tease me and she'd be like, I don't know, you're crazy yourself. And like growing up, I've always had anxiety and like, I've had some issues with depression growing up. Um, that I didn't always like to share with people because I felt the judgment or I felt that kind of that idea that there's something wrong with you or like if you have mental health issues, people always take it to the extreme like, oh, she's going to need hospitalization anytime soon or things like that. So I didn't always share that. But like the people around me that were close enough around me knew that. And I really what drew me to the field of mental health was people's stories and that we all have these very different stories, but we share the same exact emotions. Mm. Uh, and it's really interesting that how people are in, interconnected in that kind of way where, you know, like these two completely different paths can cross each other and in sharing those kinds of feelings, not necessarily for each other, but like have that same feeling. Like I can have anger, you can have anger and we can all like connect on that level of understanding what that anger means. But I think for, for millennials specifically, uh, we were kind of taught to kind of put that aside and not pay attention to that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because we have such an industry-based society. It's all about, you know, getting ahead, meeting technology, keeping up with the rest of the world, that we kind of try to put that main thing, that one thing about us that connects us to the rest of the world, that empathy, those feelings, that we come to this point where we're just all over the place. (laughs) I can really say that. I think a lot of people have this strange expectation of perfection. Like, in order to live the dream life, we all have to quit our jobs. And we don't. That, That some people belong in corporate world. Some people belong in private practice. It just, it all varies and it's all very different. All of our journeys are different and that's okay. I think that's, that's really, really important. So, yeah, I mentioned before um, stories and why that's why I I went into the mental health field is because I, um, I have a friend, she's an LCSW and she always says that she became an LCSW because she's really nosy and she like likes to know other people's business. And I've kind of put it in a different way. I'm like, I really like to know people's stories and what makes them them and their backgrounds and things like that. So you wrote a book recently and it's all about millennial stories. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So the book didn't start out as but it was really my journal that I would write um, just after a long, hard day, just living in the city. Um, I've lived in different cities. I've lived in Atlanta. I lived in Detroit. I lived in Oklahoma. But there's something about New York to where things are happening so quickly. I don't know if everybody's a journaler out there, but <laughs> once you move to a city like this, you need to journal because you cannot keep everything in your head that is going on. And so I would just journal just a lot of the things that I was experiencing as a new entrepreneur, 
there was just no roadmap. I mean, you, you have your classic timeless books and, and pieces and, and things and research that you can do. Like, um, there's, there's so many out there. I can't even begin to name them, but, um, I was, I was walking my own path and the only outlet I had really was writing. Mm. Um, and I would meet amazing people on my journey, Shauna, like just from coffee shop to coffee shop from different streets, just from the subway. Um, a lot of my friends make fun of me because I'm known as the guy that will strike up a conversation with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just not afraid of that wall, but, um, yeah, so I would write that. And then after about maybe midway through, I would, I would read some of my entries and I would say, you know what? this might be able to help somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And the book is written for millennials who just want to start something. Who just want to start an initiative of change or a millennial who's, who's just starting something new that does not have that roadmap. And hopefully my prayer is that the things that I share will make it a little bit easier from the things that I had to learn the hard way from, from leadership essentials, as far as networking and capacity building and strategic planning and, you know, assembling a board of directors, assembling a 50123. I mean, you could get as leadership technical business as you want down to networking essentials, how to meet people down to, you know, there's so much in there. My, my story about overcoming depression, reading about Khalif. But I, I'm very candid about a lot of the stories um, in there that you'll find if you purchase the book. It comes out on February 17th on Amazon. Um, but there's a lot of goodies in there. <laughs> cool definitely what is it like to write your own book I know this started off as a journal but you know when you think about like New York Times bestsellers and things like that I don't think people always realize that just started off as an idea in somebody else's head so what does it feel like to actually have like your own book right now it is so weird <laughs> I feel really accomplished I mean, because it will outlive me. The book will outlive me. The words on paper. My mom is an author. So I, it, it's so much for me. Yeah. She wrote a book called The Pursuit of Excellence that came out in 2007. If you want to get that too. Um, and so I feel like she left the legacy for me. I'm leaving the legacy for my kids. So it's spiritual. That's legacy. And then, um, you know what's most gratifying for me? It's not the sales. It's not the engagements. All that stuff is fun. What's most gratifying for me is when I get a text or an email or a call and say, what you said really helped me. Mm. That like is like giving me a million dollars because that's really where my heart is. Um, and so being able to have a piece of art or a piece of work that can transcend and, you know, space time, all that, you know, you being in North Carolina, I'm in New York or what have you. It's just, I think it's a powerful medium to be able to do more of what I love, which is meet people and hear their hearts. So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's so awesome. That really is. What do you think is next for the Remedy Network? Yeah. Um, what's next? Meeting more people, uh, you know, building our team. I'm always more, I'm always interested on how to plan the next event. I did not go to school for event planning. So I think it's really funny how I'm like a quote unquote event planner because I'm not that good at it. (laughs) um, Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, we pick an industry. The coolest thing for me is, I mean, I'm a marketing and business guy, 
but we host events, like I was saying, on really every industry. So I feel like I'm like in school when we have like an event on fashion or an event on like health. Mm-hmm. And I have my whole thing is like getting millennials a front row seat front row seat we can all watch a youtube video we can all scroll through social media and get some sort of inspiration but there's something powerful powerful about face-to-face connectivity and interaction under one roof right and um just hearing tidbits from from different industries i feel like i'm learning so much um and it's really fun for me so we're uh my next our next event is we want to do an event on education we did one in government in July 2017, and so many people wrote in. They're like, "We need to do one on education because the education system sucks, and we need not to know how to advocate for it." And can we bring in some leaders who can give some advice about, you know, the teachers and the, I mean, the payment that the teachers receive, and then the education system in America, um, as opposed to different nations, different different parts of the world. So that's kind of what we're building for next. Okay. So speaking of education, as you know, it's February 5th. So we have now entered the shortest month of the year, which is also Black History Month. (laughs) So it seems like nowadays it's like a millennial trend to be woke. So how do you feel about obtaining information? Uh, A lot of times I think that information out there is a lot is really opinion based and it's up to us to kind of form a good opinion about it. So how do you feel about a lot of the information, how it's fed to us and how millennials can be woke without kind of being ill intentioned? Definitely. I love that question. And I feel like that's the question of the day right now, (laughs) being woke. Because I, I have so many friends who are on different sides of the spectrum yeah. on the quote-unquote wokeness. I get it. Um, how would I answer that? First of all, about information. We are inundated with so much information the next Snapchat, the next Instagram story, Wall Street Journal notification. And this is so funny you asked me this because I write almost a whole chapter about this in the book. Um, and there was a quote that I cited in the book. Um, on CNN that Barack Obama gave, gave at his farewell uh, speech to the to the United States. And I'm paraphrasing this, it's not verbatim, but he said something along the lines of, if you're sick of arguing with people over the internet, meet with people face to face. If you're sick of who's in office, or you don't like who's in office, get a clipboard, start organizing for action, go door to door yourself. And it's this whole connotation and notion to where we have to begin to own more of what we want to see happen in the in the world and it kind of goes back to gandhi like you know we must be the change that we wish to see in the world so having said that Mm. um i believe that we we can it's so easy to hide behind social media the next whatever about trump i can go place you know i can be all in in my feelings and post a quote on facebook and attack trump supporters um but is that really changing the divide? Is that really changing the the the, the communication on, on that level? Or should we get a room of Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters and, and have a forum and talk face-to-face and see what it really is about? You know, just giving Trump as, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as me, I'm always a proponent of sitting and talking face-to-face with people and hearing them out um, and more dialogue, more face-to-face. I think the art of that is being lost for millennials because we hide behind the third screen and we hide behind comments that 
you would tweet somebody, but you wouldn't dare say that to their face right. or dare have that remark. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. And it, it kind of it brings it back to what the theme of the episode for today was supposed to be about with expectations is that I think that we all have this idea of the way that things are supposed to be and that when it comes to information, we interpret that based off of what we already have within us. We interpret the information that's given to us based off of what we already, what we're already perceiving the world to be. So if we are someone who feels alienated and someone speaks to that and says, we're going to do this for you, or they make promises that other people perceive that that's never going to happen anyway, then we, we get stuck in the right versus wrong or I know best, but really it's stuck in our own values or stuck in our own expectations of what life is supposed to be. But in order to kind of break that, you have to be willing to go out there and do the work yourself, which I think it's really, really hard because even though we have all of this technology and it's sitting right there on our fingertips, like it's so easy to send a tweet. It's a lot harder to like go and sit in a coffee shop and actually physically talk to somebody or actually, you know, sit there and hear somebody else's opinions, even though it makes you cringe and say, I don't agree, but we can continue to have this conversation or I don't really see it that way, but I don't hate you. I just, I don't agree. I think that's really, really difficult, but it's something that's so important to us, even just in fulfilling our own dreams and going for the things that we want, because in order to get to where we want to be, we have to like be able to go out there and experience it. It's just not going to happen by saying these things or, you know, receiving the information. It happens when we actually participate in it and actually go out and do. So, um, so can I put that in like a quote and like, or a t-shirt? Cause that is so true. <laughs> if you can find a way to make that, make that, <laughs> Then go right on ahead. <laughs> that is so true. I couldn't agree more. Amazing. Yeah. So what, if any, advice do you have for a young adult who is figuring out that they are just not happy with the way things are in their life? They're hitting the quarter life crisis and they're ready to make changes, but they're not sure where to begin. Where does that person begin? Where does that young adult go? Yes, I love that question. I write about this as well. The one piece of advice that I would say is pay attention to your tears. Mm. Pay attention to what angers you. Um, I think so many times we we get it. I mean, millennials are known. Studies show that we're more of a generation as cause-oriented, right? The data backs that, that as true, which I think is true. Um, but many times we try and point the finger and say, hey, don't you see this problem? This is a big problem. These are the facts. Does anybody see this problem? And that's where I found myself with the story of Cleve, with professional, uh, with professional and personal development, with leadership. And I was kind of pointing the finger like, hey, everybody look at this. Someone should change that. And at the end of the day, I realized that maybe that person is me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mentor told me something that changed the trajectory of my life. Reverend Hugh English, who is a pastor in the Bronx, um, told me this, that which angers you the most is what you're designed to solve. And that which saddens you the most is what you're designed to fix. And it was those words that 
I began to ask myself, why does this story in the New Yorker magazine about this kid thousands of miles away, why is that having such an effect on me? Why has that stopped my work day? Why is that making me ask so many questions about my purpose in my life? It's because it lines up with purpose for me. So I encourage the listeners out there and the young people out there, whatever that injustice is that, you know, is making you angry or saddened, perhaps that could be the very thing that you're called to advocate for. Um, I have so many tidbits of advice. Um, practically, too, I don't want to take up too much time, but practically, um, even leadership-wise, in my own journey, I'm very uh, hard-headed. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes along with a lot of entrepreneurs, too, because mm-hmm. we have to stare fear in the face and constantly, like, literally, I remember Will Smith said this quote, like, successful people are seriously crazy because they, they're believing something that's not happening yet, but they choose to still believe it. Yes. And um, I think it's somehow, and that's for the leadership stuff, but I think I'm just hard-headed by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and so just even starting Remedy in the beginning days, now that I look back on it, I should have started a side job or a side hustle way quicker than what I did in my journey. Mm-hmm. There was a quote by T. E.D. Jakes, he was doing an interview on The Breakfast Club, Power 105.9 in New York, um, on his new book, Soar. And he said, when he was beginning the Potter's House back in the day, he said, steady bills need steady money. So you can have a wonderful vision for the future and for a company, but it takes time for that to matriculate. And so, you know, don't be too prideful not to get a side hustle at McDonald's or wherever you got to go, a gym, whatever you got to do. That's not taking away from your vision. It, it can most definitely add to it. Oh, that's such great advice. Such great advice. Pay attention to your tears. And I especially enjoyed what you said about being okay with, you know, having a side hustle while you work on your dreams and knowing that you don't have to struggle (laughs) to get to where you want to be you can have money and feed into your dreams and that's exactly that's exactly what I'm doing here is like okay I'm not going to quit before I have a plan before I have a steady source of income I'm definitely not going to you know put my life in jeopardy so that I can follow this dream but being stubborn about it and knowing believing that this will happen even though it hasn't happened yet even though you don't have all of the evidence I'm huge on beliefs I um even in counseling I talk to people about thinking feeling doing and that the things that we think affect how we feel and that eventually affects what we do and then what we do reinforces that initial thought so if we are thinking to ourselves all of these negative things or telling ourselves that we are bad people that we're not good enough that we have to meet this standard of perfection then we start to feel like crap and then because we feel like crap we do nothing we sleep we continue to go to jobs that we don't like, we have no inspiration. And then that kind of goes back and fuels that initial thought of we weren't good enough to begin with. So then we have this vicious cycle. But in order to change that, you have to think about something that you hadn't thought about before. You have to add that positive thought, even if you don't necessarily believe it just yet. You have to be stubborn enough to say, no, I'm not going to do it this way, or this is what I want, and I'm going to do it no matter what. So I think that is, that's 
excellent, excellent advice to um, give to millennials because it's just so true in this world. You, you kind of have to be stubborn in order to be successful and you kind of have to keep powering forward even in those moments of failure and obstacles and things like that. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And I think it kind of comes back to this mindset of we think we're what we do. Mm-hmm. And in actuality, we're not what we do. Yeah. You know, we, we find our identity in what we do. And that was something I had to take away too. Like I'm not my company. It's, it's separate. I'm, I'm someone else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not to say that I'm different than what I do, but my identity is not my job. My identity is me walking in purpose. So. Right. Exactly. So it was great talking with you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Tell us again about your book, when it's coming out, where we can find it, and we'll just kind of take it from there. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Hello? There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, guys. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Um, the book is entitled Remedy Network, and the subtitle is A Millennial's Journey on Connecting New York City Through Stories, and it debuts on Amazon on Saturday, February 17th, 2018. So um, I'd love for you to go get it, or if you know someone that it could be a you know, a help or assistance to or love it. So, and you can at me, my social media is J Caleb, J C A L E B on Insta. Um, and our website is remedynetwork.com. Okay. Well, you guys definitely go out there and at J check out the book. I will put it up on delightful struggles. So, so you guys can, um, see where you can get it and learn more information about it. Thank you so much for this interview today. Uh, it will be premiering on Tuesdays as always um and if anybody has any questions for Jay don't be afraid to write in and ask us and I can definitely send those questions to you please do do. hey y'all it's Shauna here thank you for listening to today's show you can find Jay Caleb at www.remedynetwork.com as well as on Instagram at Jay Caleb that's at J-C-A-L-E-B. Okay, guys, I'll catch y'all next time. Bye now.